Yes, indeed. Hello and welcome to the 16th episode of the Yes, Indeed podcast. I'm uh, September 29th, and yes, the date are. is Brian Computer. And I'm also the date today, and the date today is Ben Zeiger. And I'm joining, and I'm Hannah Kim. And she's the date today also. Yeah, we're all the date today. Speaking of the day today, we're going to be talking about board games, video games, and concerts. Kind of per usual. And in the board game department, we're going to talk about Stone Age, which is one of the, one of the OG worker placement games. We're going to be talking about Bargain Quest, which is a game where you play as like a fantasy shopkeep and you sell heroes and then potentially sell them things that won't help them kill monsters, which is funny. And then I'm going to be talking about concerts I've gone to recently, including Sigrid, Block Party, uh, Lizzo, ever heard of her, Janelle Monet, and Metronomy. And then we are going to be talking about some video comps, including Telling Lies and Detroit Become Human. Human. Go. My mom. Yes, indeed. It's like the dogs without the whining. It's like the loving without the pining. It's like the pining without the needles. It's like music without the Beatles. It's like the Beatles without the good. It's like the shouldn't without the should. Stone Age. Not the Stoned Age. The Stone Age with stone. This is a board game. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go? Sure. So uh, worker placement games are basically games where people have these little wooden people. Called meeples. Called meeples. And you put the meeples on spots where you want them to do work for you. And then that generates you resources usually that then you use to eventually get victory points. And then the person at the end of the game with the most victory points wins. But... The thing that Ben didn't mention about them is that there's a kind of an element of like each turn has an air element of area control where there's a limited number of spots on the board. So if Ben goes somewhere I want to go and then Hannah goes the other place I want to go, then I can't go to either of those two places and then I cry forever. <laughs> and maybe end up making babies. <laughs> yeah, Brian's sole objectives with these kind of games is to make as much babies as possible <laughs> that's right <laughs> at least for the one that we played i mean always <laughs> Lords of, any game that lets me have more pawns i go for more pawns mm-hmm. but then then the game opens up this tableau of possibilities where it's like do i want to go here 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 i know i want to go here but if i go there with my first action and no one else wants to go there i'm kind of wasting the fact that there's a limited spots on the board so you kind of have to think about what is the most precious thing that i want to do what's the most fragile even if it's not the thing i want to do most mm-hmm. which inherently is an interesting problem to try and solve well and the other thing that i love about stone age specifically is that that kind of journey of solving a problem feels very thematic because it's set in the stone age and you have people who basically are just trying to survive they want uh, food and shelter and uh, you have to kind of send them out to learn something about farming or tools when they have no idea what those things are or to go to the baby making hut and make babies <laughs> and and it it really is a game that feels less abstract than a lot of board games do um, where by the end of it you really do feel like you've taken a group of people and helped them survive and grow and kind of develop in like cultural ways or uh economic ways or whatever and to be clear at the end of the day this is like a euro style game so you're still trying to get the most victory points so if you build that nice hut for your personal village you're gonna get like 16 points and yay but (laughs) the other bits do feel nice and thematic like ben was saying um and one of the key other components is you have to gather resources. So whether that's food, wood, stone, brick, or gold, you send workers there and then you get that many dice to roll to try to get resources. And gold is obviously harder to get than brick is harder to get than wood and so on. So um, it's got this this nice 
there's an element of luck to it, which is kind of nice and could also frustrate the hell out of people. <laughs> but basically, you have to go to, if you know you need stone on a turn, you have to put enough guys there to mitigate the fact that you might get really shit rolls. So you might end up sending five people to try to get two stone because you're like, well, last time I went there, I got three ones and I didn't get any stone. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a thing. It might, Like I said, some people are annoyed when there's an amount of chance in strategic games, but I think it actually adds to it in the case of Stone Age. Mm-hmm. It's also just funny when you just like sent five <laughs> guys and you're like, you pieces of shits cannot get... A fucking piece of stone. <laughs> I'd sent like five of you. How did this happen? <laughs> they were like, we we saw a lot of birds. They were really colorful. <laughs> I don't know. You try getting stone when there's colorful birds around. <laughs> but the, I mean the, and then the other thing about it is that there's also tools, like Ben was saying, and tools make it so that you can mitigate bad rolls. Um, so if you have a tool, then you can alter the die roll by plus or minus whatever number tool that is. Mm-hmm. So if you have a three tool, you can alter a five and make it do an eight. And then you have these funny moments where Ben would send like one worker out to hunt gold. He'd roll a one and then he'd come back with like two gold and everyone at the table would yell at him. So, <laughs> Well, then again, that, that feeds back into the feeling of the systems and the mechanics reflecting the the element of the world that it's referring to so it it would stand that people who are more technologically advanced would have an easier time so like we were joking that there were all these people who like had sticks that were they were using to like hit trees until they fell over and then one person walks in with a chainsaw and it's like <laughs> what are you people doing guys tree chopping <laughs> is actually really easy <laughs> i don't know why you all are complaining <laughs> exactly and I think there there is something to be said for why this game can be more fun than Lords of Waterdeep, which I think is I think we've talked about in the podcast before, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, which is kind of like the the what the introy worker placement game that the board game world has kind of fallen onto. And again, we love that game; we think it's really good. But inherently, it's a lot harder to put on the table and have people be like, "Ooh, what's this thing?" Because inherently there's the first layer of it having like a bunch of D names on everything so your quests are like purify the priests but then also to complete that quest it's like you turn in two white cubes two <laughs> orange cubes and and like the fact that in stone age it's so minor but it's so important that like wood looks like wood and gold looks like gold and they're tactile and they're nice and the fact that you're rolling the things in the nice cup that comes in the game like all of those things make it a much nicer experience for playing it the first time i think and also makes you want to come back because again those that feel is something that you don't get in the other versions of the worker placement games Mm -hmm. and like you're saying some of the the objectives being really abstract like uh even even if you're you're just taking out one layer of the fantasy nonsense and then you're saying okay i need to get six warriors who are going to go on a quest for me and compare that to okay people we do not have enough food please go get me fish if you don't get me fish you will starve and that will be bad for us all or you will be eating our wood right <laughs> which is which is another really funny detail that they let you eat your resources that aren't food if your people are starving so you could just imagine this like happy well-adjusted a uh, group of, of people who have uh, farming and are fine at hunting and go out and have a great time. And then these people who are just like sitting in the corner eating bricks being like, <laughs> wait, why do they get food? <laughs> what happened to us? And they're making their buildings out of bricks. And they're like, wait, are we supposed to be using these to build things? Because we're so hungry that we kind of have to eat them. They don't taste cool. <laughs> Fiber, though. Fiber's good. Fiber's great. Ben likes bread a lot. Helps with the poops. <laughs> Wait, what? Wait, we were talking about bricks. How did it go from bricks to bread? <laughs> Fiber. Oh, my gosh. Fiber is the connector of all things. Speaking of connecting things, <laughs> bargain quest. Capitalism. <laughs> so this is, this is uh, in some ways, an interesting 
counterpoint to the things about Lords of Waterdeep that make it hard to introduce to people because this is set in that world of adventurers and questing and monster slaying and uh, legendary artifacts and whatever. Um, but you're playing as the shopkeepers and the tone of the game is very playful and approachable and uh, it definitely does not feel the same level of like, I'm an intense nerd who plays games. It's like, no, I'm just like hanging out and this is funny and these characters are whimsical. Um, and the representation's so good, and there's just so many good things about it. Mm-hmm. Hannah, do you want to intro? Because this is—I think Hannah said this was her the, her favorite game we've ever played with her. Yeah, well, it's one of my favorites because it's just hilarious. I just like the fact that like your your whole job is to sell heroes things, and you could totally be a complete asshole if you don't like the hero. <laughs> like we have deliberately taken heroes out of the game by just like selling them absolutely junk. To just get them out of the game because they were so useless. <laughs> like, there's, like, one called the Noble. He has absolutely no base stats except he has so much money. So, like, you like whatever you sell him is is, is going to be his strengths and defense. But, like, he's kind of useless and nassle anyway. <laughs> so you might as well take him out. So you could basic. I mean, what you could do is you could sell him, like, a crossbow and heavy armor. And then he could go and slay the beast. Or... You could slay him a magical hat that does nothing. It has a quote-unquote magic helmet, and it says uh, that its stats are zero, but that it costs a bunch of money. So you get his money, and then he goes out, and he's like, I'm protected, and then he gets killed instantly. Yeah. So the basic mechanics of the game. So what you do is uh, each round starts with kind of a card draft. So you'll get three or four items, and then you'll choose one of them. And that item will have a couple symbols on it. One, it will have how much money it costs, which inherently it's kind of like a sideways thinking thing to how you think of money normally. It's like, oh, I have to pay this amount for it. No, that's the amount you get to sell the item for, actually. So there's that layer. There's like the item is only applicable to certain types of heroes. So if you have like a paladin's mace, you can only sell it to anyone who's like kind of a paladin. Yeah. Um, and then also they have like what it does in combat. So if this does get equipped to that paladin, what will how will the paladin be helped or whatever? So it's got those three things on it, and then you're going to choose one. You're going to pass the remaining cards on to the person to your left, and then the person to your right will have given you a little stack of cards that you're then going to pick one from and then pass the, la- the rest until you're forced to get the last card. So there's a bit of card draft thing. But then inherently it goes from there to stage two, which is putting things on display. Well, and the the interesting part of that is you know already from the get-go when you're drafting the cards who you have available to you. So like Brian said... Heroes-wise. Yeah, so like Brian said, if, uh, if there are certain items that are only uh, something that a specific type of hero would be interested in, you know whether or not they're out there right now and whether or not they have enough money to afford it. So then it's a matter of luring them into your shop so each item has kind of a value of how attractive it looks in a window basically (laughs) and you stick some things in the window and those items are almost always for display purposes only so their whole purpose is to lure people into the shop and that creates kind of an interesting back and forth because if let's say that there's something that um, a warrior would really like but it's also one of the only things that i have that a warrior would spend a lot of money on therefore if i stick it in the window there's a chance that they're going to come into my shop but then i won't have anything to sell them because i can't sell them thing on display but if i don't put something interesting in the window they might wander into hannah's shop and then hannah sells them a bunch of warrior stuff and i have a bunch of warrior gear that there's a a mage that comes in and it's like what am i supposed to do with a great sword i use magic <laughs> what's happening here and that that those choices never feel stale like they always feel fun because uh, it's the, it's not like a solved thing, and it's going to change very dramatically based on what heroes are out, what cards are in your hand. Uh, so that ends up feeling really neat. You also can get upgrades that let you have more cards in your hand and stuff like that. Put more cards in display and stuff like that. It's rad. Um, but then inherently, one of the heroes will enter in your shop, and then you'll sell them as many weapons as you can, basically, from your card, from your hand, not from your display. And then they'll go out questing. So there's like a big bad every round that everyone's trying to hit. 
And if you successfully hurt the monster, you get a victory point. And if you successfully survive a monster attack, you get a victory point. Plus, that hero survives. Which is kind of cool that the heroes are persistent in this game. Where I think a lot of these games would be like, all right, next round, new heroes. In this game, it's like, no, if your hero survived, they're still alive. They're still going to go to these shops they and try to... They want more money. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And more things. And there's like... The, uh, the first time we played it, there was like a key favorite hero that we all try to keep alive. <laughs> and like, was it the young hero? Yeah, the young hero. Yeah, and like the young hero could like equip any class item. So it was like perfect for him to come to the shop. He was poor as shit, but like everyone, for some reason, everyone loved to have the young hero just because like he was, or she, I think it was a she. Was a she. she was awesome. It, I think she also she got double advantages from the items that you equipped on her. Totally. Mm. So if you gave her plus two attack, it was really plus four attack. So it was a and that kind of dramatic rule shift makes your play style differ so much where inherently you're like all right if they come into my shop i sell them this plus three defense that's plus six defense and then they are definitely surviving and i'm Mm -hmm. definitely getting a victory point so it kind of encourages you to hoard the bigger numbered things um or even if you just do little ones they're double value so you could do a lot of little ones there's like a lot of you get a lot of freedom with that but again they have no money so then you're trying to draft (laughs) cheap cards which is a difficult oh man there's a lot of really cool (laughs) and it's inherently this game has a lot of those strategic elements but also it doesn't feel thinky and yeah. crunchy it stays pacey like yeah. it, the game keeps moving no one is no one's getting analysis paralysis in this game because it's i think it's just they did such a good job with the theme and then keeping it fun yeah that even if you're in a turn and you're like oh i have to choose between these two and i don't really know it's like inherently you're just going to be like i'm equipping these these on the this dingus to go fight this dingus monster like right. it's fine i'll just do the thing well and again part of part of one of my favorite parts of the game is that the artwork is so good oh, and yeah. the the designer did the illustration maybe yeah no it's beautiful yeah. like this whole game is beautifully illustrated like the down to the colors to like everything in between like everyone has a like their unique shop like you get to pick like a specific theme shop and they're all just beautifully illustrated Mm -hmm. and that i feel like even that's the other thing you said about getting this to the table it's so easy because i think we've played it with a bunch of people who were new to the game like we've played it a few times and every time there's been someone who's new and then the second we put out the shops and we're like choose which shop you want to have everyone's like ooh. (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, i like this well I've, I've sold people on this game before by just saying like the representation of the characters in it is amazing and then you just show some examples of folks who look like they could be any uh you know a, a range of different backgrounds and genders gender identities um i was playing with a queer friend they were like that's definitely a body binder that they are a badass you know <laughs> <laughs> And then hopefully they didn't get killed. I don't know what happened to them, but but so the the other the other element is um, like we've said sometimes the heroes don't make it, and if everyone keeps selling the heroes bad stuff and they keep going out and dying over and over again, <laughs> everyone will lose the game because the the way that the game works there's a, it, it's competitive. There's only one winner of the game who has the most victory points, but also if you have. Uh, gone through the entire hero deck and everyone's gone out and fought monsters and gotten killed by them, then everyone loses because then the shopkeeps don't make any more money. And I love that. that there's, there's like a finite pool of heroes in the universe and then once they're all dead, it's like, nope, okay, the bad guys just win. Yeah, the bad guys win. Like, We're just capitalists now. Y'all fucked up. <laughs> also, wait, there is like the one element of random, like, boost yeah when you go on when you go out on a quest you draw a random card that might modify your like plus one attack plus two defense or like minus one each some are really funny though like there's one that's forgetful where (laughs) if if you randomly get the forgetful one then the person leaves one of the items that they bought back in the shop by accident so it's like the idea that you have this hero in this noble quest and they walk into like fight a dragon or whatever (laughs) i bring out my holy lamp Oh, wait, no. where's my holy lance? Wait, wait, I definitely... Oh, no, did I did I leave it? <laughs> my no, other no, no. pants? It's, oh. it's, is it on the horse? No, it's not on the horse. Oh, no, I definitely left it back at the shop. Oh, okay, but now there's a dragon. 
Let's see what happens. I wonder if you even... Oh, did I leave it at the shop? <laughs> <laughs> and even, even like, the normal... It's like, there's just normal stuff that's, like, you know, resilient. And then it's, like, plus zero. It's, like, the idea that, like, you yeah. know... The average hero is just, like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Sarcastic. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're, they're funny. That's good. And then that that also is nice because it's you, you have the player who's, like... I've perfectly sorted this out, and uh, I have the exact perfect numbers. Oh, I'm cowardly. One, I yeah. was not anticipating being cowardly. <laughs> well, again, you never know what it's going to be like when you see the the big bad. You and know? you're and you're not controlling the hero. You're just controlling right. selling them the stuff, and then it's on them to fight the the big baddie. And the other thing about it that I really like is there's built-in catch-up mechanics. So if you have a person who's really winning by a lot. The game is good at saying, hey, like, let's keep the playing field more even. Like, let's make sure that nobody is, like, really far ahead of everyone else. And that lets it be a fun competitive experience, even if you have people who are more experienced with it or have played more games or whatever. Yeah, definitely highly recommend it. I love it. I love it so much. (laughs) Boom. 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 Yes, indeed. It's like the Beatles without the boring. It's like the Snorlax without the snoring. It's like the snoring without the snot. It's like the shooting without the shot. It's like the shot without the chaser. It's like Indiana without the pacers. What's music? <laughs> well, you should know. You've been listening to enough Charlie XCX. I've been listening to enough Charlie XCX. We've been all collectively listening to too much Charlie XCX. I don't think that's true. Not possible. I think we've been listening to the right amount of Charlie XCX. But we've also been listening to the right amount of other people. In concert. And, and by, by we, we, I mean Brian. <laughs> Although we did go to Ben and I did go to a Charlie Carly Ray Jepsen dance party and Charlie was there. I she, fucking hate you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She was fun. She danced with us. She was like right next to Brian. It was great. I, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> but also there have been other concerts. Yes. Uh and I guess the first one to talk about would be Sigrid. So Sigrid is a Norwegian? Sure. I think that's right. Um singer songwriter pop person um she just put out her first album this year and it's really good mm-hmm. it's very solid like and it she you knew immediately that she was going to be awesome because her first ep was called don't kill my vibe had the song don't kill me kill my vibe on it and that song is a oh it's a banger it's so good right anna <laughs> wait i don't think i've listened to that one what <laughs> i only listened to her like first album oh don't kill my vibe you think you're so important to me don't you but i, I wanted you to know that you don't belong oh wait here. i this does bring up yeah <laughs> exactly i'm sorry that's okay um <laughs> this happens. and they also that ep also had um uh dynamite which is an amazing song that the chorus of is something like uh you're as safe as a mountain just know that I am dynamite. Do, 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 do. That's, oh, it's rad. It's so good. And, <laughs> and I think I, I really liked her going in and then seeing her live was like, oh, next level. And I love when artists do that where you're like, I think this will be fun. And you, you never know really when you're seeing like kind of poppy stuff if they're going to be like, you know, there's going to be some dancing. But I think the lead singer obviously has a ton of control over how positive that experience is and Sigurd was so like confident and showy that it was so cool to see I mean she's super young like she has to be um but she just had <laughs> she just got on the stage at Webster Hall and like night one of two nights of sold out concerts and was just like I'm I'm the bomb and <laughs> that vibe for a lead singer adds so much to the thing because then when you're singing like you know don't kill my vibe or, or you know uh, it's just it's it's so good and then it makes you want to dance more because they're 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 just kind of like come on come on like where are you i'm up here i'm slaying it where are you <laughs> and i love that like adversarial relationship you get with lead singers where they're like 
come on come on you owe this to me this is good isn't it yeah. uh it's really good but sometimes it is good yeah in the case of sigrid it's phenomenal <laughs> um highly recommend people go check out her first album because it's awesome um and then i also saw block party perform silent alarm which is their first record back in 2005 and yeah, they've been around for a minute yeah they that might be one of my favorite albums of all time um definitely one of the first and most important albums to me uh definitely has a spot in the like indie rock canon of like the the epic albums of all time and people <laughs> might know it from like guitar hero uh because uh their song helicopter was in it and that's the one that's like uh I'm running on bravado as if to say as if to say it's oh it's like super bouncy guitars and the the both the lead singer Kelly and the lead guitarist who I don't know his name um they they're like they have super awesome like very windy bouncy guitar parts and they go back and forth in a way that feels so awesome and organic and i think the thing that always made block party really cool is that they were they were always making slightly more dancey stuff than the indie rock kids and i think fools really picked up on that trend but i think block party were the first ones where it's like if you take a song like this modern love which is off that record it inherently is like a guitar bop but it's got it's got this like boom 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 behind it and it's inherently like this beautiful sad song of you know about this modern love and like you told me you wanted to eat up my sadness we'll jump ahead and gorge away like it's really good very heartfelt uh that's one of the songs if i like hear or start thinking about it i my hairs start to raise and i start getting goosebumps it's Mm -hmm. very good and um i had seen them in manchester as part of my uk trip back in july and then they and they were also doing the silent alarm thing and then they did it here and it was wickedly different which is not surprising because they're a British band, and I saw them in England, but I also saw them in Manchester. Mm-hmm. And their their city mascot is the worker bee, um, and they were so rowdy. <laughs> <laughs> it was like they because they they play the album backwards, so it takes like a few songs before the like tempoy stuff gets in because they wanted to end on the like more intense stuff, which is everyone thinks at the beginning of the album typically when they're thinking of Silent Alarm. Um, but Manchester was like going hard on song like two or three, <laughs> like they were ready. Um, and this one, I just had I had my own little dance area, which is great. <laughs> I love it. I mean, don't get me wrong, that's great. I would rather. It's it's this weird. There's this weird dichotomy with concerts where you kind of want people around you to be hyped because it's then you get that feeling of like we're all here, we all love this thing, and when concerts feel like cults it's spectacular it's really good um but you don't want to get too intense and too rowdy yeah because people are shoving into each other yeah exactly because then you don't have space or you're constantly being like oh that is closer than i would like any human to be who's a stranger um and then you get a body like just thrown at you yes (laughs) i've had that happen twice (laughs) so it's it's the weird especially anyone who's like inclined to mosh i have words for you but also (laughs) that just means that like in order to fully enjoy the concert you kind of have to be on the sides which is what i did for slow type but anyway um so it was very different experience so and in in those ones where everyone's much more subdued it's it's like on you to fully enjoy the concert which can't which is is harder but also can be really fun because then it's like you're gonna put your all in it because it is a thing that you care that much about. Like, if, if I, I can rank this album in my top, like, 50 albums of all time, then I am obviously love it, and I'm going to give everything to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did. <laughs> uh, and that turns out that's, that was good. Um, and then that was the day before I saw Lizzo, and then I saw Lizzo. <laughs> so your legs were tired. Uh, I mean, I was feeling 
good as hell. <laughs> I did my hair toss. Um, <laughs> it's been a wonderful year for new music. Black Party didn't have anything new. Lizzo's for Lizzo's. It's not her first album, but the one that the public has seen for the first time came out this year, and then Sigrid's first album came out this year, among a bunch, and I've been emailing Yes Indeed again, which has been really cool. But uh, Lizzo's someone who I saw at South By in March and had gone in knowing who she was because she released the song last year called Boys, and it is so fun. (laughs) It should be on, like, every single work workout playlist of all time (laughs) and it should also be played at like every club of all time it's actually the one of the most amazing things about lizzo is being in like concerts and then in the like ambient music period before bands go on sometimes they'll play a lizzo song and then everyone in the audience like turns up (laughs) like you're like this is just a song playing on the radio and people lose their mind to it because it's so fun and I got you obsessed with Lizzo, yes. and that makes me happy. Yes, I can't listen to anything else but Lizzo and Charlie at the moment. It's like the only thing that keeps me awake, really, <laughs> when I'm at work. And it's just like, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna be doing everything to the beat of like True Birds, because why the fuck not? <laughs> it's very good. Um, it's also hilarious, because, wait, what do you call those uh, lineup sheets? Like, uh, at the end of set the list? Set list, yeah. It was also funny because when you were, like, organizing your set list, you had no idea you had Lizzo's set list. I forgot I got that at South By. <laughs> that was a very exciting moment when I was like... <gasps> yeah, he opened it. He's like, oh, oh, this is Lizzo's. Because <laughs> I've gotten a lot less set lists than I used to. Because I think I'm a bit less ravenous about it. Because I'm now at the point where I have, like, two binders full. And I know... <laughs> Most people who go after setlist now, they're kind of like, they're there because they love that one band. And I'm like, I have a bunch of setlist for bands where I'm like, oh, which band was this for? <laughs> um, but I, I'm just always up front, so it's kind of easy to get them sometimes. Uh, but anyway, yeah, she performs also in the most spectacular fashion. There's <laughs> so much twerking. Um, and also in general, it's just like, she's very positive. She's like, is even if there isn't a camera, she you would consider her like someone who knows how to eat a cat. Like she just, you can't not look at her when she's in a space because she's just she fills up whatever space she's in personality wise. Like she is that charismatic. It's so easy and obvious to tell. And when you have a lead singer who's that charismatic, where it's like you're hanging on their word every time, and you know she in the middle of the songs that she's always talking about like positivity. And, like, I'm not, I don't want to deal with fuckboys. Like, <laughs> like, always really fun, like, intermission bits in between the songs. And, like, then you have the songs, which are super, super fun, super affirming. And then she's just that charismatic and dancey and twerking. And, like, there's a sense of fun and playfulness to the, the twerking stuff. It's not just, like, we're hot. It's, like, this is fun. Mm-hmm. Well, and also, she, she just in general is so good with inclusivity and body positivity and like sex positivity. There's just like a lot of stuff in her whole way of approaching life Mm -hmm. where, you know, the way that she makes it a point to always call out like Mm non-binary and, and other people who aren't in the normal people who get shout outs. It's just like really fabulous. Yeah. And it's like, and most, when most people do it nowadays, it just feels very forced. Like she does it so effortlessly and naturally to the point where you feel like, why isn't this the norm? Like it's just like, she just like so effortlessly like carries people and it's like so great. And also I've never seen her in concert, but I've watched her like tiny ass, tiny ass desk concert. (laughs) Well, she did like an NPR tiny desk concert that she calls tiny ass desk concert because she couldn't fit underneath the table (laughs) but like um yeah if you want like a little preview of her that i've watched it at least like 10 times at work (laughs) people have probably been questioning why i've been watching so much of lizzo and it's the same video every day but like she's just so delightful like the way she interacts with everyone that's around her it's really great and it like almost seems like she's glowing all the time yeah she's got a lot of love can i get a hallelujah Amen. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Can I get a yeah yeah e? <laughs> it's so good. Um, 
And then the next week, I saw Janelle Monet. So my life is crazy. <laughs> it's, how exciting is this stuff? Very exciting. Uh, Janelle's another person who I got to see in Manchester and then again here. Um, same months? Whoa, that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> but she is... Okay, so the first thing that's worth noting about Janelle Monet concerts is they are the best dressed band on a stage <laughs> I have ever seen. <laughs> It looks so damn good up there. Like, she looks fly as hell, but then also, like, her, even her band, like, every bit of it looks spectacular. Like, the fact that, oh, man, I just, oh. The way, like, <laughs> even the, like, saxophone and trumpet players when they were on stage, they just had, the, like, a suit that was, like, one half black and one half white on the other side, and it was just, oh. And on to, and it fit with the theme of what everyone else was wearing, and there's costume changes, and all of it just always looks so damn good. <laughs> She's real good. Not to mention the fact that, like, damn, she can, like, super sing. And also, she's a really good dancer. Like, her footwork is real good. <laughs> um, especially in, like, Make Me Feel. She, like, really, eps up, like, steps up the MJ dance vibes. Um, and it's real, real good. And then... She's also, from her acting, I presume, uh, <laughs> really good at being expressive. So even if even if the singing doesn't change up for what the emotion should be, you like are super keyed on into it based on the facial expressions, which is a thing that I can't say for most bands. Like most bands, you don't, it's like, oh, are you feeling bummed? And you look at them and then you're like, oh yeah, you're feeling like really bummed. It's like she's, she's I mean, well, not that, Janelle Monet has like particularly sad songs, but <laughs> <laughs> you really do like you get a ton from watching her face, which is a thing that I think is rare at a concert and is super cool that you can you can have the experience of the song amped up by the fact that you're looking at the lead singer's face. That seems super cool. Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's just like a, also a giant dance party, like. <laughs> It's really fun. And it's just, like, in general, their vibe is, like, let's just have fun. Like, they have a song where one of the lyrics is, like, let's put water in their guns. And then the backup dancers go to the side and then bring out water guns oh, and then, like, spray God. them at the audience. Like, <laughs> that's the vibe. So much attention to detail. It's not attention to detail. <laughs> it's just fun. <laughs> so you can be non-detail oriented and come up with a water gun. <laughs> but it's fun it's just like it would can should we do this yes because it is fun mm -hmm. that's the that's the gist mm -hmm. um and then the last concert i want to talk about is the one i went to last night which was metronomy uh who are a band i've now seen four times um and they're super great and there's there's something that's super amazing about going to see a band where it's like they've been around for like over 10 years they have like five or six albums and then they're playing stuff from all of those albums and i know all of the songs and i like all of the songs like it's this very cool very cool thing and they're fun. oh they're fine they also are like super cool vibes um to the point where like all of them were wearing like the same dark blue plants the same like gray tops and that's just their vibe their vibe is like we are these like stylish cool people <laughs> some of us are complete nerds and some of us are just objectively super cool. <laughs> and we make like kind of nerdy electronic indie rock that's almost, that's basically pop music also. Mm -hmm. um, and inherently those, those, those things are really fun together. And then leads to these, this byproduct child that is super dancing encouraging. Um, and beyond that, it's just they also rock out so that you get the like you get the like i'm gonna bop along to this song and you also get the like i'm gonna jam out to this song and the fact that both of those things exist in the same place is super cool and they have they have one of the best like peppy chill albums of all time the english riviera and it's oh man the bay the look everything goes my way corin it's just got nothing but good songs on it and it's again one of my like favorite albums of all time and then their even their new stuff is just super fun. Like uh, I showed both of you the salted so caramel, caramel ice cream, cream music video. <laughs> they have delightful music videos on top of that. Like they just they're just really awesome. It's true. They uh, and there's another one. Uh, 
I think it's thing for me where it's 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 kind of like a karaoke music video where they've got the words at the bottom and then the balls bouncing on them, but then the words start appearing on people and then the ball will like bounce on their head and then they like fall to the ground. <laughs> it's like too much and I loved it. <laughs> and they had they have they had really good uh they had really good stop mo in their the look of the music video with the pigeons. Yes. <laughs> they had very delightful stop motion. If I I concentrate in stop motion in college for people who don't know. So it was like delightful to see just like puppeted pigeons <laughs> doing weird shit. It was great. <laughs> oh, that song is so good. And that one of the things that I really, really, really like about Metronomy is that they often have like super melodic bass lines. Um, so if you have a song like The Look, it's, you know, and it's it adds a lot to the to the core of the song. And I think a lot of times bass is like one of those things that's there. It's not necessarily doing things, but that's one of the things that I think one of the main ways British music separates from American music is that British music's a lot more inclined to put more melody stuff in the bass line. Mm. Um, and Metronomy's like definitely does that. Like if you think about their songs, a lot of the iconic bits are from the bass line. Um, and I mean, it's it was spectacular. It was, I felt like a little kid and I was like dancing and I would sweat through my pants. And it was <laughs> great. Just like a kid. Yeah, kids sweat through their pants, right? Um, kids do a lot of things through their pants, yo. Like, I don't... <laughs> you heard it here first. Kids do a lot of things through their pants, yo. <laughs> Yes, indeed. It's like the sandwich without the meat. It's like the running without the feet. It's like the feet without the impressive. It's like politics without the regressive. It's like regressive without the fetal position. It's like the loving you without all the missing. So lies. <laughs> People tell them. Sometimes when you're Sam Barlow. <laughs> so. And you're obsessed with fairy tales. You two talk about this because I've been talking forever. No, we'll, talk, well, I'll talk. Yeah, well, I'll, ta- I'll add thoughts. <laughs> but I need you two to intro the game. <laughs> Well, t- so Telling Lies is made by Sam Barlow, who is a delightful human who worked in kind of AAA video games for a while and then had also worked on a lot of more weird things on his own and recently kind of had some success making a very specific brand of, of games that really hadn't been made before, which are some of the most accessible games um, that I've seen made for people to transition into seeing what an interactive experience could be like. Um, so his first game is called Her Story in this chapter of his life. Um, and Her Story is similar to Telling Lies in a lot of ways where it's kind of, there's a, an archive of a lot of video footage and then you put the search terms in as if it's Google or something like that and you get to watch new video clips that you haven't seen before and as you start to watch those clips, it gives you ideas and more words to search for. Well, the which then important, you use to find the important thing is that the videos basically are, they have the, you're searching a transcript of the videos. So yeah. If I search the word the, and they say the in the video, I get to watch that video. Although you only get to see the first five options of matches. So the more specific a search you have, the higher chance there will be that you'll find a video that has something interesting in it. So you can't search a and then watch every single video. <laughs> right. Um, but or if you had anything that useful. <laughs> right. Um, you kind of, it, it's very, con- like, the format makes it so that you have to search very context-specific words. Mm-hmm. And, and we've heard people describe it as one of the best, if not the best, detective kind of mystery experiences that they've ever had um, as an interactive experience. And it really is fabulous at that because there's nothing that's scripted if you went in and randomly guessed some like really specific word that ended up being a critical part of the case you would find it there's nothing that's stopping you from seeing the end and that kind of non-linear way of exploring this story is really what makes it so fascinating 
Um, and the big thing with telling lies relative to her story is that they really added a lot more depth in the character relationships and the number of characters that they were following. Um, and they also made it a lot more realistic and natural. Um, so they used a lot of footage. And the context is you're kind of this um, somewhat uh, questionable motive person who is looking through this footage um, and minor, minor spoiler, eventually um, you are shown to be someone who's leaking this footage because there's some problematic stuff in it. Um, sort of like WikiLeaks and you don't know what you have. So it's really about you digging into this like complex series of human interactions that were captured over, you know, uh, over FaceTime or other kind of like video communication um, in order to really illustrate both the kind of like human sides of what happened and also the like legal problematic sides of what happened. So Hannah, what what did you think of her story, and what about telling lies makes it did, made it more engaging? Well, I didn't really quite get to. I didn't finish her story, but it was I didn't like either, yeah. yeah, it was very intriguing. I've like personally, I've never like experienced anything like it, and also. Um, we did play it while I was like horribly carsick in a bus. <laughs> so <laughs> there was an element of like my head hurts, but this is so intriguing that I want to keep playing, which goes to say something <laughs> that I was playing it through a headache. <laughs> but it was like, yeah, it was very interesting for me to be like, okay, I could specifically like type, I have full control in what I type into this specific video game to look for more information on specific transcripts. Like, it was like, it's so cool. And one thing that I I prefer, like, telling lies over her story is that there are multiple perspectives. I do like, well, like, the whole thing about telling lies is that you will, also, you will always see, like, one end of the camera, and you'll hear everything from one end of the camera, but you will not always, like, you won't hear the other end, so you have to search for, like, specific keywords that you heard from the first conversation to f see the other conversation, and things get wild when you're, like, watching one side, and it's just, like, seems boring, like, you're, like, the guy, like, one of the uh, characters is, like, okay, okay, and he seems stoic, his facial expressions change a few times, and you're, like, what the fuck is this conversation? You watch the other side, and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, it turns out this was a crazy conversation. Yeah, it's like, it turns out this was like absolutely bonkers. <laughs> and it's also great that like, there would be times where like, we're just sitting and we're just like, trying to like, figure out what to like, Google, basically. And I just like, shout out different random shit. Or everyone shouts out different random shit and we end up getting like the most, like a very key and crucial part of the story plot. And it's like that randomness is so like great because that's kind of what people do when they're bored on Google. They're like, what does, like, does flowers see things? <laughs> like, it's like kind of like that almost. Well, yeah, and, and I think two points on that. One is uh, definitely agree on that, that sense of, that sense of the mystery. Because I think... Most of the time in video games or even in like board games or whatever, whenever there's a mystery to solve, the mystery has like a set solution and it's about you finding the set solution. So like escape rooms, you have to figure out what the number puzzles are in order to figure out what the clue of the thing is. And in this, there isn't a set solution. You, it's you, it's you, like however you come across it, there's a billion different valid paths through her story or telling lies where you see all of the things but you took a completely different journey and and that journey is kind of the super fun part because if i start searching a thing and then i ultimately get really interested in this side path of the story i can fully explore that side path of the story and have it color how i see the rest of the case unfolding mm -hmm. and if you see that side path at the very end of your game you're, that won't be a thing that has colored your entire game's playthrough. So inherently, it feels very personal whenever you're doing that. Um, I think that is a thing that's very special. Well, and in Telling Lies specifically, one of the parts of our experience of it that really stood out to me was the the kind of timestamp of the experience takes about a year and a half, two years. Um, and 
the first couple times we sat down and played it, we were mostly seeing clips from earlier in the timeline. And it kind of registered to us, like, I guess there's going to be something interesting here, but like, we don't really know where this is going. And we don't really like some of these characters. And we don't know, like, if this game is trying to like, condone their problematic behavior or whatever. And then as it unfolded, it continued to complicate itself and like get into more interesting territory, um, which in a lot of ways is the opposite to how her story is set up, where her story very quickly, you get clips from the end. And those clips dramatically change your understanding of the stuff that happens in the middle. Um, so this one felt like it was steering you to have more understanding of the kind of like foundation of the story before it built to the more complicated stuff which I think was interesting, especially because it takes this very naturalist approach. And there's a lot of really human moments that it captures, which mm-hmm. I think could have been done in a very ham-fisted way where like you watch it, you're like, this is so staged. Like these mm-hmm. people don't really know what they're This doing. is a writer knowing that he has to put in a prop that is personal to the like yeah. formulaic. But the I think the performances were incredible. Mm-hmm. The direction was incredible. I think that there was probably some improv um, that happened with the actors. Yeah. And it just feels like you're watching real footage that's really natural. And um, again, unlike her story, where her story has clips that are explicitly taking place in an interrogation room where it's a woman who's being talked to by the police, this is footage of just like people talking to their daughter over over the internet and um any other kind of like very casual encounter um that ends up being very natural feeling and realistic one other thing that i wanted to touch on that hannah had said was about the fact that you're always viewing one side of the conversation that inherently is a super satisfying puzzle that's super small and self-contained because then immediately you're like how do i see the next thing in this conversation how i see the person that you're talking to right now yeah exactly so then someone in the conversation will be like i'm crazy no and then you're like okay they said i'm crazy then the other person probably said you're crazy so (laughs) you're trying to find like the specific thing because and again you can't be too general because you only get to see the first five results you have to be something very specific that would be have been said in that conversation so Mm -hmm. you get and that's one of the cool things I think about telling lies that isn't there in her story is that you get a lot more of these like self-contained, solvable, satisfying puzzles where like mm-hmm. I feel good when we see the second side of a conversation. Um, and and the fact that you get that little mini win, that little mini dopamine hit makes it a lot easier to like get through the it's a longer game and it makes it easier to mm. play it too totally yeah when we're like desperately trying to find one side and we can't for a while it's like the greatest feeling we're just like fuck yes we found it <laughs> like and, or like sometimes we like forget about it and then like a day later we'll find it it's like still a great satisfying sensation like oh that was that conversation yeah that's amazing but also one of the things that like i think about after playing this game i feel almost like i'm doing something wrong creepy (laughs) you feel creepy yeah you feel like there's like certain specific things it's like oh this is a very very intimate moment between characters oh my god i should not be watching this (laughs) like but you're also like what are you gonna say next like it's (laughs) So, what was the other side of that conversation? (laughs) Yeah, you feel creepy, and then immediately that gets subsided by your curiosity. Yeah. Oops. So, we, to be clear, we think it's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's amazing. I I really like it. And the other, so the other quick thing about it is that, kind of like with her story, the reason I didn't finish it is because you can like once you feel like you get a gist of the story you can just stop playing like it doesn't a lot of games feel like you need to beat them to see the ending and i think the because the journey is the thing in her story you're telling lies when you feel like you get the story you can just tap out which i think is a super neat mechanic of like Mm -hmm. there's a ton of content in here you can try to find all of it if you want to but also if you feel like you understand the narrative now you can tap out. There's a mm-hmm. percent. There's a percent chance that if you tap out really, early, early, then you might n- be missing the a insane ending that actually happened. But mm-hmm. um, I think if you if you keep doing the thing where you're like, let me just see where this trail goes, you'll you'll never 
not see the end of the thing mm-hmm. at some point. So I, I do think it's it's not a game that's like trying to be overly tricky. It's just like it's a I don't know how he did it where it's very like you start searching the names of the people and then you see the names of the people and then you start finding words of the thing and the thing and then you, it's like the the rabbit hole the like layering of the things you need to do to see the important stuff like the fact that you can't just search for the important stuff it's just brilliant like it's, mm. yeah, it's, it's really a good. giant snowball effect yeah it's crazy a game that has some potential <laughs> but is also <laughs> complicated is Detroit Become Human, which is the final thing we are talking about. Um, quick synopsis, Hannah, without spoilers. Oh, God. Um, basically, it's a world of cyborgs, and some of the cyborgs... Um, and humans. And humans. Um, some, of the, uh, some of the robots start to have consciousness and self-awareness, and things go crazy. Is that good enough? Sure. (laughs) So mechanically what's happening is it's a very high-budget AAA action game where um, you are playing characters who are in intense situations, and it's primarily choice-driven. So there's a lot of effort that's made to present people with complicated choices and then give them uh, consequences to those choices. And it's made by this... um, developer called quantic dream who are spearheaded by a human probably buffoon buffoon white guy named david cage who has very specific likes in his games yeah (laughs) and uh and they've made this kind of game before so heavy rain is like this in a lot of ways and uh the strange indigo prophecy slash fahrenheit game is like this um they also made this game called beyond two souls which I think um, is the best of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Detroit Become Human is is really interesting because, like Hannah said, it is dealing with a lot of really interesting ideas about consciousness and humanity and like what it means to be human. Like I think that's basically the title. Like that's that's kind of in its ideas. That's but, in its ideas. But th- they royally fuck it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, oh God. Like I want to love this game. Like, the game, there's, like, a certain section of the game that, like, if you Google it, like, if you even Google the game, it'll come up, like, how, like, everyone just, like, exploded. Like, this game is so good, and it's, like, interactions, and even, like, you, even as you're playing as a, as the robots, like, you just feel, like, you just feel like they are real people, which is, like, insane and really great, and there's, like, a, a, there's a character named Connor that's, like, absolutely one of the best characters ever and but like they royally fuck it up by appropriating the civil rights movement i have like no problem with the fact that the game was like okay so there's a group of robots that gains uh self-awareness and they want to be treated as uh individuals i'm totally fine with that narrative it's just that why the fuck did you have to go and appropriate the civil rights movement you frenchman (laughs) like i don't understand and i yeah i just can't (laughs) <laughs> and and it's done super poorly yeah like it's just awful and it's so blatantly like oh yeah you totally word for word took it you just took it out of the civil rights movement and like david cage is like no like, <laughs> what <laughs> the opening it's like very early on you see a cutscene where the like cyborgs are in the back of the bus and you're like oh no <laughs> this is this is the tone this game is tr- choosing to set well, that's and that's what's so hard with it because the there are these big moments that even if David Cage denies that their intentional statements are intentional statements, um, but I think that one of the things that it does best, other than the kind of like branching design, which is done very well, is some of the really small human moments are incredible, and mm-hmm. um, and like we I think we talked about before in Heavy Rain this sequence where there's a, a quick time event where you're holding a baby. And you have to like gently rock the baby back to sleep. And it's brilliant. It's like off Super the charts cool. brilliant. Because when have you done that in a video game? Yeah. In a, in, a, in a world where most interactive experiences that are made for a mainstream audience have central systems and mechanics that are all about using interactivity to like hurt people and to kill people. To mm-hmm. have a moment that's like about connecting with someone and like being gentle. That's like fabulous. And again, it's not in this like 
really well-intentioned but also pretty small indie title it's in a really big mainstream game and similarly there's a lot of stuff in detroit become human where you have these small interactive moments between connor and his partner hank or sometimes between um kara who's another one of the characters and alice who she's kind of traveling with and again it's like these moments where you do a double take and you're like is this still a video game like what mm-hmm. this is so poignant and powerful and like and like beautiful yeah and oh, then yeah. you get to marcus and you're like why <laughs> did you do this <laughs> and, even, and even in marcus's plot like the stuff yeah. with marcus the and his owner when yeah. the sequence with like him playing the piano oh, and, and painting like, taking and... care of his like well like his own yeah his owner when like he's doing very specific things to like uh care for this elderly man it's like wonderful and beautiful and then it goes off a cliff <laughs> yeah well and, and i think that like it's um it's really an example i think of pointing out that games are made by a lot of people and it's clear that there are certain parts of it that were really lovingly crafted by people Mm -hmm. who really wanted the moments to kind of sing and to work the way that they wanted them to Mm -hmm. um and there are certain moments that feel like they're very intentional creative choices made by somebody at the top and the ways that the small moments come to life like are not a product of mm-hmm. one person's vision yeah and i think that you know video games a lot of the time can feel like this sort of experience that comes out of the ether that aren't made by people mm-hmm. and in some ways this stuff even though it's clunky and has a lot of big problems with it is some of the most profound evidence that i can find of something that when you go through it you really have this experience of this was made by people who cared about it and and like it it comes to life in these small ways that go beyond you know one person's foolish choices Mm -hmm. yeah no like i think people still should play it like i think it's like as i said i want to love this game so much but like i think i would recommend it for like very few people but give like a giant giant red flag warning (laughs) well i think that's the problem is the the, like recommendation Mm -hmm. part of this game i think has always been like you kind of want people to play it because it had so much potential yeah and i think it's first of all it's like one of the best looking video games of all time gorgeous yeah (laughs) like the people look like people and also like all of the bits in the environment look stunning and spectacular and And everything moves so well like oh my god (laughs) like that that amount of realism for a video game is insane so one especially if you're like new to video gaming if you saw that you'd be like whoa this is this is crazy it's like this is not a game not mario yeah exactly (laughs) two uh like ben said the choice based stuff is like really really good where Mm -hmm. uh one of the i think simple things that i really appreciate about it at at least is that um you kind of see what the possibility trees are when you're done with you it plays in like little short scenes basically so when you're done with this little scene you see how it could have gone differently um and inherently some of that stuff ends up being beads some of them are bigger broader consequences where like people can die and stuff but Mm -hmm. like the fact that they show that and they also like give you some really cool choices and that they impact the game in the way they do and that the feel those choices Mm -hmm. always feels really good yeah so i i think that that it really nails and then three like ben was saying and i said two that like the human moments are so good and so human and even the connor who's like sort of a human story but also he's pretty plot heavy feels very real and i think it's hard to get so humany in a, such a plotty character mm-hmm. and they nail that really really hard so you kind of want to you kind of want to recommend it because you want people to experience make parts. the way better version of the game that takes out <laughs> yeah. all the crap and then focuses on those three things that it does really well mm-hmm. but that being said in order for people to try it they have to give money to quantic dream and it's hard to recommend people do that when they did such a colossal terrible thing yeah and it's like one it's like so like frustrating for me because like all of the majority like so two-thirds of the game just feels so natural so right despite you are playing as robots trying to become like trying to 
learn how to be a human almost and then there's like the one third of it that's just so heavily contrived like the distinguishing tones and factors of just how contrived it feels and forced it feels just like it makes me want to vomit <laughs> yep 100 percent. and then the other parts i just want to cry over so i don't know <laughs> so realistically the best way to experience it probably is if you have someone who you think is a nice human and watching like a let's play because then that way you get to kind of see the scope of the game and then you don't have to pay quantic dream money which i think we can all agree is a good thing <laughs> and that's it yay podcast done bye 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 i can't see <laughs> it's right there I, when i well, why do you have your glasses off i don't know